Hi, welcome to Head Start, the podcast for race directors and the business of putting on races. PR, that's public relations, is an integral part of running a successful brand and business. It is the art of communication and storytelling. It's about appealing to communities and stakeholders, forging relationships with media and playing the marketing long game. Yet, as my guest today, PR pro Meg Treat of Treat Public Relations rushes to acknowledge, it often gets a bit of a bad rap. Well, hopefully we're going to be challenging those perceptions for you today with a really insightful take on public relations, earned media and the power of storytelling that definitely opened my eyes to the vast opportunities events can unlock through a thoughtful and carefully implemented PR strategy. This is an episode absolutely packed with tips and concrete advice on how to pursue an effective PR plan for your race, so make sure to take that notepad out and get ready to take notes. Before we go into all that, though, a quick shout-out to Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up, the leading all-in-one technology solution for endurance and fundraising events. More than 22,000 in-person, virtual and hybrid events use Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up's free and integrated solution to save time, grow their events and raise more. We are super grateful here at the podcast to our friends at Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up for continuing as the podcast sponsor for another year and helping bring high-quality free content to the Race Director community. And if you'd like to learn more about Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up and how their industry-leading technology can transform every aspect of your race, do make sure to visit runsignup.com. That's runsignup.com. Okay, let's get into this amazing episode. Meg, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Fennis. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank you very much for coming on. So where are you joining us uh, from today? Uh, I am in Orange County, California, right smack dab in between Los Angeles and San Diego. And, uh, you know, for it being a fall day, it's, it's shaping up to be a hot one here in SoCal. As always, very nice, very nice part of the world. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Just introduce who you are, what you do, what you've done in this space, and also a little bit about your company, uh, Treat Public Relations. Yeah, absolutely. So I make Treat. I'm a public relations consultant, entrepreneur, and educator. Um, I've worked in public relations for over a decade. I have worked in agencies all across the United States, and I've also been in-house with large and small corporations alike. I have a bachelor's in public relations, a master's in communications, and a certificate in strategic communications management. And I am accredited in public relations, which is a designation held by only around 3,000 of the 250,000 people in the United States that report working uh, in my field. I split my time between two roles. I teach public relations at the collegiate level. And I'm really interested in helping to grow the next generation of PR professionals. Um, But I am also the owner of Treat Public Relations, um, which is a specialty PR and communications agency focused on serving endurance events specifically. Treat PR is really my love letter to the endurance industry. Um, I am myself a multi-time marathoner, ultra marathoner, and triathlete. And I am so lucky that I have the chance to combine my professional passion with my personal passion for endurance sports. I've represented races all across the U.S. from, you know, modest, small nonprofit 5Ks to large marathon and half marathon events with thousands of participants. 
And I'm really excited that Race Day is back and uh, that we can get back to sharing the stories of these events that make a difference in the lives of so many people in their communities. Awesome. Okay, sounds like we have the right person. Public relations, it's definitely a term that's a little bit confusing to me. I don't know about other people. So how would you define public relations as a function? Yeah, and I would say, don't worry on that. I'm pretty sure even my own parents are still unsure of what it is exactly that I do each and every day. Um, And public relations has some kind of negative tropes associated with it too, right? There are people that think of PR folks as fixers when people have a big scandal of being spin doctors who make things look good when they when they aren't so good um but i can tell you that any true public relations professional is really interested in sharing the truth and and doing this so ethically but overall panas the easiest way to explain it is that public relations is about creating mutually beneficial relationships for an organization brand or public figure So compared to marketing, which is really focused on sales, sales can be the result of great public relations, but it is not the exact intended target um, of the things that we do. Primarily, public relations professionals are writers and great communicators because communications is the foundation of any good relationship, right? We're talking about building relationships and whether it's personal or professional Um, You know, being able to create an open two-way forum um, is so important. PR pros design communications for brands to um, help them uh, make sure that everybody's happy in the end. The key audience and the organization, making sure that everybody wins and everybody gets a chance to be heard. Does that help answer your question? It does. I think you mentioned marketing there, which is interesting because in my mind, I guess you're you're saying that, I mean, public relations touches on, on a few things. When media relations in particular come to mind, you know, I'm thinking press releases, which we're going to go into, and I can definitely see those serving multiple purposes, but marketing seems to be one of them in in my mind. And as you say, both public relations and marketing sort of achieve some common goals, but public relations is a little bit broader than that, I guess. Yes. And it's a little bit more of the long game. You know, uh, a lot of marketing tactics, especially advertising, are really focused on getting that sale, getting that person to sign up for the race right now, right? Whereas public relations is a little bit more about the building of that long-term relationship so that people keep coming back over and over again. I think too, as you mentioned, you know, thinking about marketing and how it overlaps with public relations, many race directors are engaged in PR activities without even really knowing it because they're already marketing their race, right? PR can fall, you know, with content creation, social media, um, creating those community partnerships with the nonprofits and other um, organizations that we support in our towns and our regions, Uh, even government relations when we're trying to get you know, our local uh, city council to approve our permits for our race, right? So the, those are all kind of things that I see race directors doing already. And as you mentioned, earned media is really the place where I see race directors not taking full advantage of the full PR suite and media relations can have such a great impact on a race and helping to tell its story. Right. So earned media, you mentioned there, break that up a little bit for us. What what exactly is earned media? What other types of media is there? What is earned media? Totally. So I think an easy way to explain earned media, as you mentioned, is kind of in uh, showing how it fits in with all the other types of media and content that are out there, right? 
Um, there is a great uh, public relations and marketing professional leader author named Jeannie Dietrich, and she's created this thing called the PESO model, um, P-E-S-O. And each of those letters stand for a different form of content or media. So there's probably a few of these you're already familiar with, again, because you're marketing your race, right? So there's paid media, which is advertising. Anything where you go to a publication, to a platform and say, here's some of my money. Um, I would like you to share this message for me. And that platform or that publication says, yes, we will take your money and do that. There's shared content, which is anything that lives on social media uh, primarily or any other type of forum where you don't have full ownership of it. You sign up for a service to share out your messages and utilize that as a communications tool. Our owned media is when we share communications or content through something that we actually have full control over, like our website, our blog, our email marketing. And then earned, that last one, E, um, that we sometimes forget about, is a little bit different. This is where we go to um, someone who is a journalist, someone who is a blogger, any type of person with a platform and say, I have a really exciting story to share with you. And I think it's really newsworthy, important, and interesting for your readers, for your audience, viewers, listeners, what have you. And just by the merit of the story being great, of it being compelling, of it being newsworthy, they're willing to share that message for you without there being any exchange of money happening. So again, earned media versus paying for that media. And typically when we're talking about this, we are talking about publicity and press, you know, for our races, um, as well as sometimes influencer relationships and things like that. Right. So there's something very appealing there about uh, earned media, thinking of race directors, and I think I know them a little bit, which is the free bit. So you don't, you don't pay for it. So that makes it super appealing for sure. On the other hand, I, I do see why it would be something that people wouldn't think of immediately and wouldn't necessarily invest time in. I think it might sound a little bit exotic and out of reach for most race directors. I'm thinking particularly, you know, sort of like middle of the pack type race directors, right? Totally. And I think that you're right, Venice. It's really um, can seem super time consuming. It can seem kind of mysterious and weird. Like, how do I really talk to journalists? How do I get in touch with them? Um, and what do they really care about? And these are questions that we kind of inherently know the answers to, but I'm hoping that, you know, we can shed some light on it today that it's not so mysterious and not so out of reach. It's actually something that with a few quick, you know, changes and updates to your race marketing plan, you can go ahead and start utilizing and taking advantage of. Yeah. And I think it's, is it fair to say that, um, I suspect race directors think that, oh, you know, like, oh, why why would a journalist take an interest in me or my race and stuff? And I think sometimes we forget that journalists rely on quality content. So they're, sort of they're like constantly in the hunt for good stuff to write about. Otherwise, you know, they'll be twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing. A hundred percent. I describe it to my students, Thanos, as there being a, imagine a long hallway and there are two doors that are facing each other. There's a journalist standing in front of one door and there's a public relations professional standing in front of the other. They both have a key in their hand. The journalist looks at the PR professional and goes, I've got an audience behind the store. I would love to give you the key. I would love for you to be able to talk to them, but I need really good stories. I need really interesting sources and subject matter experts to talk to. Do you happen to have that? 
And the PR person says, well, I have that behind my door and I'm willing to give you the key so long as we can share it with the audiences that you have back there. So it's really about creating this open line of access to this, the two things that the other wants. And, um, you know, having this really interesting relationship where, um, you know, again, like you say, journalists need to feed their hungry audiences who want to read about interesting stories and who want information. And so, um, it can seem like, especially too, in our day and age, when there's so much news and when there's a 24 hour news cycle for many, um, you know, types of news sources that, um, maybe my story doesn't matter. Maybe my story is too small, but I actually think that in some of the, the messy and hard to read news that's out there today, that it's really extra important that we tell stories about community events like races, um, and make sure that they're getting a chance to shine and show how people come together and create community. Right. So let's let's um, sort of unpack that a little bit more. So first of all, is it possible that any race can have a story? Right. You know, when I think stories, I think you know, like epic stuff, super unique stuff. You know, like I'm thinking uh, Bad Water, that kind of race. Right. Only the really iconic, really you know, like things that you would talk over a dinner table. But can my local 5K have a story to tell? Yes. And this is the reason why it bums me out when I don't see race directors utilizing media relations is because a, a endurance event, no matter its size or scope, is inherently newsworthy. Um, and, you know, we can talk a little bit more about what makes something newsworthy, what the elements of newsworthiness are. But, you know, commonly when we look at news, it's about something new, something that's happening right now and something that's happening in the place where that audience cares to know about. And so when we think about something being timely and having a relevant location, which are some of the most primary elements of newsworthiness that journalists are looking for when they're opening the millions of emails that they get from people like me uh, each and every day, um, every race has that, right? It's happening in one place at one time on one day. And it has to impact almost every race that I can think of that I've ever run has a community partner, creates economic impact um, in the city that it's in by bringing in folks who um, you know, are coming from out of town to run that race, but even for the locals who are gonna go out for a celebratory brunch after, right? So when we think about impact, when we think about location and timeliness, these really key elements of newsworthiness, every race can say that it has that. I'll give you an example. I used to represent a great race in Tallahassee, Florida called the Trash Dash 5K. It was a very modest race, um, brought out a couple hundred people to run on a cross-country course there in the capital of Florida. Now, you know, on the surface, this race might seem very small and like something that isn't particularly newsworthy, but we actually gained tons of media attention for this race because we were able to start highlighting some of the cool stories um, that made it extra unique. In this instance, it was run uh, by the local sustainability nonprofit. So uh, that being part of the Trash Dash name, but also they had chosen a course for this nonprofit 5K fundraiser that was perfect to match with their sustainability mission. This cross-country course was built on the landfill uh, that used to be in town and had now been turned into this beautiful greenway and trail that was you know, bringing in cross-country teams from all over the place for national championships and major competitions. And so to be able to tell people that they can help 
our town become more green and um, really affect sustainability here in the Tallahassee area by also running in this beautiful place that used to be the dump is kind of a funny concept and uh, made for a really interesting and unique story. So I think that, you know, for the most part, of course, this race was already going to have some newsworthiness to it again, because it was happening one day, one time nearby to the reporters that we were mentioning to, but also um, that it had something especially unique about it that I think many races can find if they only know where to look for it. Yeah. I mean, to me, when you were going over that example, I thought, wow, that's such an amazing story, but that's probably because you went over it. The question is, For a race director who doesn't have your talents and experience and expertise, I totally get what you're saying about the fact that, you know, the fact that you have an event that happens at a time, at a place, and it benefits a good cause, that alone is a story, right? I mean, I definitely, there's the seed there. So I can definitely see your point that all races can have a story. But then all the other stuff, you know, like the little nuances and the how it ties with other things, like where can I start? looking to find those elements or develop those elements in my story to make it more newsworthy? For sure. I think first, understanding some of the other elements of newsworthiness can help. Um, But also to just taking notice of what some of the common kind of archetypes and stories that are being told in your local news, or even in the news that's being produced by some of the major players in our industry, like Runner's World, Um, can really be helpful to you as you start to think about how they apply to your own race. Um, I tell my students all the time that the best way to understand newsworthiness is to be someone who digests news. So definitely take some time to check out what's happening in your local community, what people seem to care about and be reporting on. Um, But I think a couple things come to mind. So first, some quick ideas for different stories that your race can probably tell. The first is human interest stories, you know, whether it's yourself as the race director that you have a unique story to tell about how you came to create and found this race or even came to be the leader at this race can be um, a story in itself, but also look to your participants and volunteers. Is somebody, you know, running your race and at the same time raising a huge amount of money for a cause that they care about? Is somebody overcoming a disability to cross the finish line at your race? Um, is this somebody's 500th marathon that they're going to be running while they're there with you as well? Do you have elites or other famous folks from within the running community, um, or within your local community, even like, is your mayor running your marathon? Is there something to be played with there? But also your volunteers, of course, too, the people who help you produce your event, um, and your sponsors can be another nice place to shine that kind of human interest story light, um, on your race. The other are milestones. If you have just reached a record amount of participants registering for your event, if you've raised a new amount of money that is particularly large or beats the fundraising that you did last year, or even if, you know, this is going to be the year that the hundredth thousandth person, you know, crosses the finish line of your marathon. Those are kind of some fun stats and milestones to think about that give that quick little twist to your story. Brand partnerships are big too. You know, I think that the other reason that media relations can be a big benefit to a race director and event producer is that they're a chance to make more value for our sponsors that come in, right? 
if we can shine a light on them and share that we are partnering um, with them to produce the race or to bring a special experience to race participants as a part of the partnership, those can make sense for the business section of your paper, for the community section of your paper. Again, too, we keep coming back to, right, most races have some type of goodwill or social responsible um, element to them. And so those are always great stories to be shared and worth highlighting. If you have a new nonprofit partner, again, if you've reached a certain amount of money that you've raised, or if you can provide other stats like, you know, removing, um, you know, our cups for our race has helped remove this much waste from our local landfill, things like that. The other two things to keep in mind are a little bit more fun and fluffy and something that you've probably seen a ton of on the internet, but listicles are a great thing to think about for your race. Is there a countdown of the 10 events that you need to be a part of in your community this November? Is there a list of the top 20 races that allow strollers to be pushed while they're in it? Um, You know, thinking about those lists and even two how to's can be helpful. You know, can you provide a, a story for your local paper that's, you know, the five steps for preparing for your first marathon um, that then, you know, they can provide in the weeks leading up to your race? And of course, I think you've talked a lot about race reviews in a recent episode, Panos. The other great thing to do is see if bloggers, um, even if local media themselves who are runners, would be willing to come participate in your event and then, you know, do a write-up about what their experience was like. So interesting. Now, the the stuff you mentioned um, towards the end of that list, including lists and how-tos and stuff, I would probably put down more as kind of content outreach type stuff, less about necessarily newsworthy. Let's wrap that up just since we're, uh, since we're at it. So these lists and these how-tos, let's say I write, you know, I'm a local event and I write a how to train for a 5K or whatever, like a couch to 5K thing. What would be my angle, first of all, in, in bringing my event into that content somehow, you know, rather than instead of like a coach writing that? And where do I go with it? So like, what's the actual steps of, you know, I'll, I'll do a how-to on training for a 5K and I want to get my event in there and I want to push that out to as many places as I can. So how am I thinking through that? Yeah. So one thing that we have to remember too, is that the news landscape right now is kind of tough. You know, um, it's certainly uh, traditional media has seen a drop somewhat in its uh, traditional readers and viewers where people are actually holding a physical paper or a newspaper or watching the news live on TV. Instead, much of it's being Uh, consumed online, right? And as a result, um, many newsrooms are much smaller than they used to be. One thing that can really help these dwindling newsrooms where there are less reporters than there have been in a long time is to produce content for them. You know, going to a, a local paper, a local magazine and saying, you know, I'm the local race director here at the you know, marathon uh, here in Kansas City. And I've written this article that I think will be helpful because we have 10,000 people from our community coming out to run this race. And I think it'll be relevant for them. Are you interested in sharing this article with your readers? Have it already written up. Um, Go ahead and create that article ahead of time and share it with them. More than likely, they're going to say, 
this is great. Um, thank you so much. We can showcase you at, you know, we can have it bylined by you in the paper. It will show that race director, that marketing volunteer, um, for a race as the author. And then I think the easiest thing to do, Panos, is to remember that, you know, again, like you mentioned, how do we work our race into this while also having it still fit into a newspaper, into a magazine where it's not going to feel like an ad, right? So I think taking a really, um, you know, journalistic approach to the way that you write it, thinking about, um, you know, making it compelling, but also um, not hammering home too hard um, throughout the article uh, about your race, but a couple things you could do. At the very beginning, you can mention, of course, why this is relevant. We have a big race coming up in our community, one that has a big impact. And if you're interested in participating, these tips are going to be helpful for you, um, but also for any race that you might participate in. Go into the article, go ahead and focus on providing those real relevant tips um, and making sure that you're driving it home for any runner anywhere. And then in your closing, you can remind people that, again, this race is happening here in our community and you can register here at this website address. And it's as simple as that. You're able to tie in your race. And I think too, that those editors, those journalists who might be vetting this article that you're submitting, because you're doing them a solid by you know writing this content piece for them and helping them fill some of their pages, that they're going to be okay with you mentioning you know and plugging your race briefly at the start and at the end of that article. And I think we sort of uh, started to stray into uh, press release territory, which is great. So many things to uh, talk about press releases because because I, I see a few of them as well for for our website. And you know the point you were mentioning there about not not being too salesy. You know, like make sure that that a journalist might be able to just pick that content up and just publish it immediately. Like so difficult, so simple things to just put across to people. But first of all, press releases. When we're talking about, you know, the kinds of stories that you were mentioning earlier, highlighting your good cause, stories about your athletes, would these things be part of like a press release schedule or would press releases, like in my mind, probably be a lot more about, um, you know, registrations are opening or, um, you know, early bird is done or we brought this sponsor on board. Is, is basically any piece of of newsworthy content could be subject to like subject matter for a press release? It couldn't. And you're exactly right. Um, I think that, you know, many of the things that we just chatted about human interest stories, um, those how to's, those are not appropriate um, subjects for a press release in particular. Um, It should be reserved um, a press release for something a little bit more monumental and something that somebody can do something with. I think that um, you know many of these stories that we're talking about sharing don't have an immediate call to action, right? They they do inherently have that ability to get people interested in and educated about our race, but press releases typically need to have tons of meat, tons of details. They should be completely fleshed out and answer all of the questions that a journalist or a person might have. Um, but I think that you know. In general, yes. As you mentioned, there's a few key times that um, I always push out press releases for my clients and that I recommend race directors use them for their own races if they're DIYing. That's when registration opens. Um, If there's another development in between registration opening and our actual race day, like some elite athletes signing on to come out and and be at the race, Um, if a big sponsor signs on, right? 
Um, but then the next press release would be that post-race press release that wraps up all of the impact and all the things that happened on race day. Yeah, as you mentioned, it, it's tough to write press releases. And I, you know, like I said, I teach it to to young people who are interested in studying public relations. And it can be tough because even on a site like a PR newswire, you know, like Cision, if you go on there, we actually just did an exercise in one of my classes yesterday where we critiqued a bunch of these press releases that are sent out on these huge wire services that really aren't deserving of a press release, right? That don't have enough meat that are really short or that aren't written in the right style. And I think that that's a big part of it that you mentioned. How do we make sure that, um, you know, journalists see this and are able to actually utilize it very quick and easy? A press release should be a journalistic style article that if they copied and pasted it into your local paper, into a magazine, it would look like it belonged there. And, um, you know, of course, most journalists will end up creating their own article off of it. Many will go ahead and add their own flair and information to it. But um, in general, it should be something that can be utilized quickly, easily, practically copied and pasted into a publication. Right. As you say, it's supposed to read as if a third party wrote it. But of course, a third party didn't write it and lots of people write those. And, you know, they go a little bit crazy sometimes with superlatives about their own product or event or whatever, right? And it doesn't help, does it? No, um, mostly because a journalist will open it up, read it and realize that they can't do anything with it. They're going to be like, oh, they didn't understand the point. So much of PR, it's so silly, is really about formatting. Um, It's about knowing the way that journalists want information served up to them. And so when we're talking about a press release, you're 100% right. The first thing that you can do, you know, to try and write like a journalist is to avoid any type of exaggerations, any extreme adjectives that aren't relevant to the story and sticking to the plain old facts. It can make a press release feel kind of boring when you read it. But you have to ask yourself, instead of it sounding bombastic and really energetic the way that a blog post or an email might, you have to ask yourself, does it have all the information that somebody needs? And is that compelling information? The next thing is to use the inverted pyramid. Um, This is a writing style that puts the most detailed and important information first and then moves to the more general and and, um, irrelevant content as it moves forward in the article. So making sure that your race time, day, where to register, who it's benefiting is all right up there at the top. Then, you know, you can add in a quote from yourself or maybe one of your participants or, or elite runners who are joining you. But then, you know, details like all the different events that are included in your race. Like if you have a five miler and a 5K, um, if there's going to be um, certain elements on the race course um, and different types of support available. And then moving out to who is the organization that's putting this on? You know, what do they do? Moving through the hyper-specific information that if somebody only read the first paragraph, they would still be able to do what you want them to do in the end. And to that point, the other main thing I can tell you is that we need to have a call to action in a press release. I see people miss this so often. They just report the news and they get so worried about writing in that journalistic way that they think, oh, adding a link to my registration site is, you know, it's not altruistic. It's too much feeling like an ad. 
But if you check out your local paper and you read, you know, real articles that are being posted in there about community events, they absolutely tell people where they can go register, right? Because that's one of the questions that readers, viewers, audiences will have uh, when they hear about your event. Yeah, I'm nodding along here because it's it's exactly as you say. And I would have the same reaction. You know, I would be hesitant in adding a direct link. It might sound a little bit salesy to me, but as you say, which is a good a good thing that you suggested that people go and 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 consume news because at the end all news about an event would have a link to the event or a link to the registration page, right? I mean regardless of uh, because it's just it's just helpful, it's a helpful link to have there. Yes, it's the final question that even if you put all the information in there about why your event is so great and what makes it so unique, where it's happening, uh, when it's happening, the obvious question is going to be, okay, so cool, where do I sign up, right? And journalists are all about answering questions. So we have to think about what are the questions that a journalist would have, but also what are the questions that the audiences are going to come back to them with? after they read it. And if we can include all of those answers in a press release, we have done our jobs. And is it also okay within that stale factual press release for me to maybe mix in some of those more interesting human interest stuff, you know, like just a dash to make it a little bit more exciting for people to read? I would say that if you're doing this for the very first time, DIYing your press release, I would be careful with peppering in some of those more, um, you know, uh, stories that are a little bit less facts and a little bit more content focused, just because it's a hard line to walk. I can think of when I have peppered it in uh, effectively and found a creative way to share those stories. But of course, I'm writing press releases with my eyes closed. So, um, you know, I think that it can be a tough line to walk. One thing that I would say is, you know, if the human interest story is related something to something that's happening as a part of your event, like Meb Kofleski is going to be leading a pace group, right, in your half marathon. Absolutely. Make sure that you're including that he's a part of the event. That's a fact, right? Maybe you're having Shalane Flanagan give a talk at your expo. Absolutely. Include that. Again, maybe, you know, things like, oh, the mayor is running or so-and-so who's raising money for, um, you know, breast cancer awareness is going to be running their 50th marathon at the event. These are things that are reserved more for pitches rather than press releases, which is where we kind of serve up these fun human interest stories like we talked about to a reporter and allow them to explore it on their own, interview that person, get to know more about our race as opposed to pre-writing it in a journalistic style article like a press release. I hope you guys are enjoying this absolute gem of an episode so far. There's a lot more tips coming up in just a minute. Before that, let's think for a sec about the part of your brand, the very first thing that your customers get to see and interact with, your website. As you reach out to media opportunities, it's crucial that the presentation of your event is cohesive and consistent. With Give Sign Up Run Sign Up, your event gets a beautiful, free, customizable website that can help put your brand and your story at the forefront. And the great thing is you can get an awesome website up in minutes using Give Sign Up Run Sign Up's purpose-built race website templates, or spend as much time as you want customizing the website to highlight whatever aspect of your race and story you think deserves the most attention. It can be your athletes, your community, or a special cause your event may be supporting. 
You can add personalized components like race photos, finish line videos, top fundraisers and donation thermometers to bring your story to life. And you can even bring your own domain to your event website. So participants can find you via a simple URL of your choice, like yoursupercoolrace.com. Sounds good? That's because Give Sign Up Run Sign Up's product team has seen it all and has planned for everything your race website could possibly need. So, to learn more about the awesome Give Sign Up Run Sign Up's custom websites, head over to runsignup.com. That's runsignup.com and see for yourself everything you could be achieving when you onboard your race on Give Sign Up Run Sign Up. Okay, now let's get back to talking public relations with my guest, Meg Treat. Next up, taking your story to journalists and the media. So it's a little bit clearer to me now that you almost have, I mean, you could come up with three different types of assets for different occasions. So you have your press release, which is more like hard facts, announcements, that kind of stuff. And of course, the post-race press release, which we're going to touch on a little bit later. Then you have your human interest stories, you know, the kind of thing you'd see in your local paper, right? Something that relates to your event, but not explicitly, right? But it's 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 that kind of thing. And then you have all the how-tos lists and stuff that, you know, it's other valuable content that you can sort of brand with your event somehow and put out there. Okay, so assuming that a race director lines all of those up, how do they then move forward to distributing them? I guess there's different channels for them, different ways of pushing them out there. What's the first step? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first step, if you've started to compile these stories, if maybe you've written your first press release about your event, is to go ahead and start building that media list um, of who you're actually going to send it out to. Um, If you're DIYing your media relations, you might think, how am I going to get in contact with all these people? How am I going to find their contact information? Um, But I actually have four quick ways that you can find that contact information that we can go over here. They're not too lengthy. But the main thing that I want to remind them is that, you know, for the most part, the main media members that our race directors, our event organizers are going to be focused on is local media. Yes, we can go after those great Runner's World articles, maybe even outside magazine if we have a big um, you know, impact on our outdoor community. But for the most part, 90% of the people you're going to be reaching out to are there in your local community only reporting on where your race is happening. We want to keep that in mind as we're creating our race assets, right, for for our public relations that we are bringing home that local focus. But here are the four ways that you can go ahead and find those media contacts. The first is masthead. So I usually show an example. And of course, here in the podcast format, it doesn't make sense to show it. But if you go pick up a copy of your local um, paper, of your local magazine um, that's covering your area, if you get, go get the actual physical print copy at your Barnes & Noble or at the local newsstand, many times you can open to a page that has a list of all of their reporters and editors, and it will actually have their email and their phone number listed right beside their names. So that can be a really easy way is actually going to get the analog version of that publication. And many times their um, information is included there in print to reach out to them. We also have contact pages, which I know is kind of simple and folks might think about um, already. But if you go to your local paper's website and head to, you know, newsroom uh, contacts, um, their masthead there, 
to learn about who uh, is actually doing their reporting and editing there, even your local TV station, your local radio station. Um, it's often very easy to find their contact information on their website just because they are hungry for local stories, right? They're not getting inundated the way that maybe, you know, Savannah Gunthrie on the Today Show is probably getting inundated with emails. Another way to find it, and this is a little bit more of the sneaky way, <laughs> is sometimes I'm looking for a reporter's contact information and I just can't find it. I've been hunting. Where is this local community reporter's email address? I cannot figure it out. It's listed nowhere. I've Googled it. I have, you know, called um, and nobody picked up at the newsroom. What am I going to do? But as I'm in my search, I find the email for someone else that works at that same newspaper. I notice that the way that their email addresses are set up are first name dot last name at abc10.com, right? So I can take a wild guess, just like, you know, we would notice in our own organizations, right, that maybe we work out as a part of our day jobs, that we all have the same style of email address. So if I know that I'm trying to reach John Doe, the, the local community reporter, and I see that Jane Smith's email is jane.smith at abc10.com, I can take a wild guess that John Doe's email is john.doe at abc10.com. It never hurts to go ahead and send that email, right? It could be that you have it wrong and you get back one of those undeliverable messages, but most of the time it's going to go through to the right person. So do the sneaky work to find one email address because if you found one, you found all of them. The last one is Twitter. Now, I'm critical of Twitter. I'm on it because I'm a PR professional. I need to connect with journalists and many journalists use Twitter very heavily but I know that Twitter can be kind of an ugly place filled with angry people. That said, if you're trying to DIY your PR, it's worth at least getting an account so that you can check out journalists' Twitter pages. Very commonly, they'll have their email address in their bio on Twitter or in a pinned tweet because they're often you know, getting people reaching out about pitching them. Another spot to look is to hit tweets and replies as opposed to just tweets on their Twitter page to see if somebody's asked for their email before and they've sent it in a reply. And then finally, if you really still aren't turning it up, um, but you find their Twitter page, it is okay to reach out to a journalist via social media and say, hey, are you okay with me pitching you here on Twitter or sending a press release to you here on Twitter? Or would you prefer that I contact you somewhere else? More often than not, you're going to get a response and they're going to say, sure, send it to me here or provide that email address to you quick and easy. Super. Okay. Now, speaking of uh, reaching out, if I do this over email, what is a good way to be concise, but also put in my email everything that the other person needs to understand why I'm writing about, right? So what's the right balance to strike? Sure. So if we're sending a press release... We do want to keep in mind that we should never attach a press release to an email as a Word doc or a PDF. You actually want to copy and paste your whole press release into the body of the email. Um, Number one, many reporters have it set where attachments don't come through to them because they could be getting viruses and things like that. But also just from a user experience standpoint, it's one more thing for them to have to click when they've already opened your email. So make it easy for them to see it right there. Typically above those press releases, I include a quick one sentence note. Hey, John, I know you write on community events and I wanted to make sure you saw the press release below. Let me know if you have any questions. 
Meg, then have the press release right there where they can read it immediately underneath that short message. If you're sending a pitch, um, again, email is king for contacting reporters. Um, It used to be that it was kind of 50% phone, 50% email when I started out in public relations. Phone has really fallen off um, since I've continued on in my career. I think because journalists are outnumbered by PR people like me, there's about um, six PR professionals for every one journalist, which uh, can mean that their email addresses are uh, overwhelmed with queries. But Um, you always want to send these notes about stories, about press releases, about media alerts through an email. And again, always putting your message directly in there, not attaching it. For a pitch, a pitch where we have a human interest story, where we have an elite runner coming to town that maybe they might want to interview, um, or, you know, anything related to our race that we might want to help a reporter experience and understand that's not appropriate for a press release. It's a, it's a simple three-part formula for writing a pitch. We put an attention-getting opening line that you know is either related to how this impacts the community, putting that all that newsworthiness right up front. We then jump into a paragraph that provides some more details. You know, Shalane Flanagan is a famous runner and author. She's the previous winner of the New York City Marathon, blah, blah, blah. All those key details about why, again, they should care. And then we end it with an ask. Would you like to interview this participant in my race who's raised a ton of money uh, and hear their story? Would you like to interview Shalane about why she came to our city to run the race? Would you like to interview our race director about how this impacts our local community? Would you like to come to our expo and be a VIP and experience what it's like to be a runner picking up your bib on race day? Whatever it is, we want to make it really clear for the reporter, are we telling them We'd like to offer you an interview with someone. We'd like to offer you an interesting experience, or we'd like to offer you a chance to even try out our product, come run our race. Um, And when we make that really explicit for them, it makes it easy for them to reply to us and say, yes, no, but hopefully, or a simple no. Um, And in sometimes some cases too, I should mention and us that, you know, even PR professionals like me who have been writing pitches and press releases forever, I send many, many uh, emails to journalists each and every day. And many times I don't receive anything back, even if it's the best story. So I want to tell race directors not to get discouraged, even for folks who have been doing this a long time. If you don't hear back, it's probably just because their email is already inundated or their editor said, that's a nice story, but we have breaking news that we've got to send you to go cover. Yeah, of course. I think people need to play the odds, play the numbers, You know, send a few of those out. And even a small percentage of success with those means some really good publicity in the end. So if I understand it correctly, you're saying for a press release, I would write the whole thing in a way that the journalist can just copy paste onto somewhere, let's say the, the, the site of the, the website. But for a human interest story, I would just pitch the general elements of the story and invite them to write the story, basically. Correct. And invite them to explore it more. We don't have to have the whole story fleshed out. They may go and discover more about it and why it's connected to our community, why there's there's uh, deeper roots with it for their readers. But it really is just a teaser that gives them a starting place so that they can, yes, go write that story on their own and get a chance to exercise, you know, their 
their journalism and their desire to help answer questions and share stories. And in terms of, particularly for press releases, you know, there's some, you mentioned PR Newswire, there's a few press release distribution services out there. Does it make sense? And maybe does it make sense for all events? Does it make sense for some events to use those kinds of services? Or is it better, as you say, to just snipe and find local papers to write to? I think it's a mix. So number one, I think things like PR Newswire or Newswire can be a big waste of money, um, especially for race directors, because this is really targeted more at large, large businesses and corporations who want their stuff to show up on Yahoo News, um, you know, and and have tons of media hits that come back to them from for an SEO uh, benefit. Now, there is one tool that I think is worth using, and that's Endurance Sportswire. Um, Tina's service is just fabulous and does target exactly the people in our industry who would care to hear about it. Some of these larger newswire services are extremely pricey and will only end up reaching you know, runners or people interested in running or triathlon, any type of endurance, uh, in an extremely unusual case, whereas something more targeted like Endurance Sportswire is going to actually reach folks who are purely interested in this, who are within our industry, who are also race directors, and even just people who are runners that you know are clued in to wanting to hear about what's going on in the running event world. Yeah, Endurance Sportswire is an obvious one. And uh, Tina, as you say, does a great job making sure that those stories hit all the right people. Is there perhaps a service where everything that you mentioned about my researching local journalists you know, like some kind of distribution service I can hit where I can say, you know, I'm in that county, in that state or those counties, you know, like just send my press release to all of those local outlets? Sort of. So it's not quite as automated as that, but there are media database services that PR professionals like me pay to have access to, um, you know, that I can go get Um, you know, the editor of the New York Times email, I can get my local weatherman's email, whatever it happens to be and search for reporters all over the world. These are amazing services. If day to day, like me as a PR professional, you're utilizing them all the time. It's easy through those services to build a list of who you want it to go out to and make sure that they're all relevant, all in your local area. Um, and distribute it through those services where they're able to kind of send a, a customized mass email out to those folks to make sure that they receive it quick and easy. That said, Panos, those services are extremely pricey. They're not typically something that a race director is going to want to invest in, which is why I recommend some of those more tedious and take a little bit longer processes for finding those local media contacts. Just because for me, I pay many thousands of dollars a year to have access to a media database like that. And so I wouldn't recommend for a race director who's going to be doing this once a year uh, to spend their money there. Instead, I would spend just a little extra time, um, you know, working to build your own media list or to find a PR professional who can help you get access uh, to those contacts and build that list for you. Is LinkedIn perhaps a good way to reach out to people, maybe get like a premium? something that LinkedIn has to make it easier for you to reach out to people that are not even in your network? Totally. I have um, I have hit the, the DM inboxes on Instagram, on LinkedIn, Twitter, anything that makes sense. If I'm really trying to hunt down information and find a reporter and make sure that they hear a story because I know it's hyper relevant to them, use anything that's at your disposal. 
even if, you know, your, your aunt Susie, uh, used to work at the paper as a secretary and might know somebody that you can call any, any resources that you can take advantage of. Um, you know, there PR really is the business of shameless self-promotion. So if you want to hustle and find any interesting way to get a hold of folks, that's great. The only thing that I will say is that because reporters and journalists and even bloggers are inundated with emails um, every day, you know, from folks trying to get their story out there is number one, again, make sure it's newsworthy, make sure it's something that's truly relevant if you're reaching out to them. And also kind of know when to walk away. I typically only follow up on a pitch or a press release one or two times over the kind of two weeks following sending it out. And then if I haven't heard anything at all, I take a step back. What's funny is even if you do that, I have heard from reporters six months later who said, you know, I didn't have a chance. I'm so sorry uh, last time to reply to your email, but I was searching because my editor was asking me about fall community events that we could show. And when I did a quick search of my email, I found your pitch or I found your press release. So that's another thing to keep in mind too. The things that you're sending off are going to live in somebody's email inbox. So make them searchable, make them something that if they can come back to you later, even if they ghost you right now, um, that they can utilize and still get in contact with you. Yeah. And the great thing about that, as in your case, is that in the end, with the successes you have, you are building a network. You are building relationships with people, right? That can work then both ways, right? I mean, it, it's a human on the other end. They may, something may come to their mind that they want to reach out to you with, right? Yes, 100%. And that's why, too, I think that, you know, another good reason to put yourself out there proactively is because you will hopefully have new story opportunities, new press opportunities to react to. As you say, when people reach back out later, um, when they say we do need somebody to comment on, you know, fundraising in our community, or we we need to have somebody write an article about running for our annual fitness issue of, you know, 805 magazine, whatever it might be. Um, but yes, making yourself a resource, again, building that relationship and making sure that you have something to offer as much as they do is so important. And in terms of specialist press outlets like Runner's World, which you said earlier, you know, should not necessarily be the first place you reach out to. But, you know, every so often news about local races and, and you know, not just the marquee races make it into Runner's World. Does it make sense for me to go after that? What does it take? What could I stand to gain from that? Uh, and, and like, how strong should my story be or how broadly relevant? To, to stand a chance of making it into outlets like Runner's World and others? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I think that even small local races have a chance to be highlighted in these major industry publications. I've earned press for my clients in Runner's World, in Triathlete, Lava, when that was um, a major triathlon press outlet. Um, these are places that we can absolutely see our local races because, you know, as you mentioned, they're interested in highlighting these local um, opportunities to participate because that's where their readers really are, right? And especially too with how much tourism is a part of running or, or was a part of running pre-pandemic and will be again soon. Um, making other people aware of your race, no matter its size, could potentially draw people, you know, to your community to come out, run, and and see your beautiful city, your beautiful region. Now, 
as you mentioned, I don't think that it's something that during the heart of the season around your race, you know, in those six weeks ahead of your race and in those six weeks after where you're really powering in and trying to get everything wrapped up for the actual production of your event. I think that that's the time to be focused on your local media and to really drive all of that home. In the off season, when you're starting to prep for next year, when you're starting to take your lessons learned, uh, you know, set dates as things are starting to turn up, that's when um, it's a good time to start working on these um, larger publications. And that's for one main reason. Magazines like Runner's World and other national level publications have a much longer lead time for the news that they produce than your local media. The person from your local paper could talk to the runner that's set to win your race today and have it in the paper tomorrow. You could be going into the studio on to do an interview for TV this weekend and it will air on Monday, right? It's a very fast turnover. Whereas Runner's World um, and even, you know, larger productions like a Today Show or some other type of morning news, they're working on stories months in advance for the most part, unless it's breaking news. And so, you know, especially with a magazine like Runner's World, they're typically wrapping up the articles that they're going to be putting in a certain issue three to four months ahead of when they're actually going to publish it. So that's something to keep in mind that, you know, if you're trying to get out the word about your race for this year's event, like come register for our race that's happening in six weeks, that's just not going to happen in a runner's world type environment. Instead, you know, it's better to be looking for opportunities to be included in the top five races where you can run with your dog, or these are the most scenic marathons in the nation. Things that are going to be able to showcase your race in a more long-term evergreen way than um, just publishing something about this year's event in particular. And does it make sense for me to um, plan to invite local journalists or even specialist press journalists out to my event to cover it? Yes, absolutely. There's never going to be any moment more newsworthy for your event than the day that it's actually happening, right? And I think that the main things to consider are that, um, you know, There's tons of visual opportunity uh, for sharing stories, whether it's static photos that are going to be included in a magazine or a newspaper, or if it's video that's going to be shown uh, on your local TV news station. But there's tons of, of visual newsworthiness that's there on event day. And then also audio news too. I think people forget about radio, but your local NPR station is going to love to hear the blow of the horn that starts your race, the runners cheering, the, the sound of the pounding on the pavement. Those are all things that can be utilized by radio. Um, this is the big day. So make it count. Um, the easiest way to invite media to come out and cover your race on race day is something called a media alert or a media advisory. They're kind of interchangeable terms. But this is basically, I don't know if you might have seen panels like in a, in a party store, you can sometimes get those pre-written or those invitations for a kid's party that say, you know, what? James's birthday party. When? Uh, July 31st, whatever it is, where you kind of fill in the elements of what somebody needs to know about your party. A media alert is basically one of those. <laughs> We say, who's putting on our event? What is it? Describing, you know, a really rich and interesting, um, you know, event and telling them all the things that are going to happen. Where is it happening? What time? 
Who are the people that you can interview while you're there? And what are some of the photo and video opportunities that you're going to be able to seize if you come? Um, I can provide a template for your listeners of what a media alert looks like, and they can very easily plug and play uh, those items into their advisory. But again, taking one of these documents that's an invitation, a formal invitation for media to attend, popping it into an email and sending it off to journalists and news desks across your local community is going to be the, um, you know, the signal to them that they have a reason to come out and cover on race day. I think another thing that's kind of fun too, um, just as some other unique ideas, if you have a local reporter that you know is a runner, offer them a free registration to come out for your race. See if maybe when that local anchor comes out to cover the race that morning, they can talk to their fellow reporter and showcase them at the starting line. Also to race day morning and the scene of your start line is a great place to do the weather from for your TV news. You could have your local weather reporting saying, it's a great day to be running out here at the Turkey Trot. You know, it's 65 degrees and runners are about to take off. You know, um, it's going to be sunny. So make sure you finish as fast as you can so that it doesn't get too hot. You know, things like that that can make for a compelling and fun reason for them to be there and, and maybe stay there for more than just those key moments like the starting line, like the finish line um, and the presentation of awards. So that sounds like um, a lot of fun. Would I leave it to reporters to have the imagination to come up with things like, oh, you know, we could do the weather from the from the race start or something? Or, or do I need to be explicit? Meaning, you know, you guys, here's an idea. Come out to my race and do the local weather from there. Yes. Be explicit. Put it out there. If you have a fun idea like that, or if there's something else too, even if uh, if you're looking for somebody to kind of be the the person who starts the race, who you know um, shoots the starting gun or you know um, plays the starting horn that's going to kick off the event, maybe your local editor or anchor reporter on the news wants to be the person to do that. They can make a quick announcement, you know, say hi, I'm so excited to be here, good luck today, and blow that starting uh, gun or or horn. But I think that be explicit. Let them know, again, just like in a pitch, make your ask really clear because the main questions that a reporter are going to ask when they see a message from you are, number one, why should I care? That's why we care about newsworthiness and putting it forward is making sure that they understand why they should care about a story. And also their other question, what am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) Cool. This information is great. What do you actually want me to do? For the press release, it's a little bit more inherent. You're sharing an article that hopefully they will come over with. But for a pitch or for an idea like come do the local weather from my race, um, we need to be explicit and put it right out there for them. Right. So we'll definitely um, take you up on uh, sharing that media alert template uh, and other templates if you have them. Absolutely. Just so people have a bit of a visual, are we talking like an email? Do we preface it by saying media alert or something? Yes. So a media alert, you can imagine, I typically use a table and your listeners will see that in the template that I share to kind of keep it neat and tidy all together. But right at the top in giant letters with asterisks all around it, we say media alert or media advisory. And I typically will include that as a part of the subject line as well uh, to make sure that they know exactly what it is. When they open it, they'll see the media alert statement. They'll see um, a headline similar to a headline that we would write for a press release, some type of journalistic headline that gives them an idea of what the event is that you're inviting them to. And then jumping right into this table where it says, who? Girls on the run. 
what girls on the run is hosting a um, 5k that's going to raise money for our after school program that is you know utilized by 800 girls in our local community blah 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 give your quick little pitch of why your race is interesting what all is going to be happening there then um you know our next few lines are where here's where the starting line location is when here is the uh date uh, and the time that the race is beginning, but kind of the only thing I'll say is I typically ask people to put in there, when are people going to take off from the starting line? Note that note when you think your elite athletes are going to be finishing the race. And if you have anything else, like an award ceremony or a pre or a post-race concert, go ahead and note those times broken out, um, in the win section, because if a media member can't make it to the starting line because they have another report that they're doing that morning, but they see that they can make it there in time to watch the elites cross the finish line, now they know that they have more options for covering your race and won't have to be there for the full four hours that it might take for your whole event to come together and pass all those newsworthy moments. They can plan when they'd like to show up. Then we put a section that says photo opportunities. We describe those things. Runners having medals placed around their neck. Runners uh, running in front of the Capitol building. Um, You know, this elite runner leading their pace group. Um, Any of those types of photo-worthy moments that we want to share. And then interview opportunities. Is the local mayor going to be at your race and they can chat with media? Are you as the race director able to provide interviews that morning for them to fodder their reports with? Um, Is there a special participant that you pitched as a human interest story that now they can follow up with on race day and find out how their training went and how they're feeling about being there today or about finishing the race? Coming up with any of those key people and, of course, always asking them ahead of time if it's okay to include them in those interview opportunities so that, you know, if you have some big names who are attending your race or even just local leaders or local celebrities, they know that there's some other newsworthy element to come and check out. Okay, that's uh, super great advice. Moving through the timeline then, the race is behind me. I guess putting out some kind of post-event wrap-up thing in a press release and sending it out to the same people should be quite high in my agenda? Yes, I think so. And it's something that you can prep really easily ahead of time. Even for a race that I have happening uh, two weeks from now, I'm going to be writing the post-event press release today with some placeholders in there for me to plug and play on race day. In my post-event press release, like you mentioned, it's all about the results, right? It's And not just the results that are coming from your tiny mats that are picking up folks running across the finish line. We want to share our winners um, who are, you know, participated in the event and were triumphant in their um, main, you know, events um, for for male and female runners or for non-binary athletes. If you have that uh, part of your event, and letting us know the times that they ran in, you can include a quote from them, what have you, making sure we highlight our winners. We also want to talk about other impacts. How many people actually ran the race? What ended up being our total registration numbers and how many people crossed the finish line? How much money was raised for the nonprofit or the community organization that we are supporting? Um, Do we believe that there was a certain economic impact um, on our community that we've already made an estimation of? Were there runners from this many states, this many cities? Um, you know, were was all were all of the cross country teams in town in attendance uh, of the event, 
any types of things that you want to frame up. It could also be that, um, you know, if there was a particularly moving or special part of the event, like the mom who's a volunteer for your event was able to place the medal around the neck of her daughter who won the women's 5k that day, you know, anything that's a good heartwarming highlight can be mentioned as a part of this press release. And then also too, I dare race directors, if they're able to know next year's event date, that that can be great to include as a part of their post-event press release. If you don't have a date yet, using that as your call to action at the end of like, hey, and if you'd like to join us next year, here's how. Instead, you can always, of course, tell them to head to your website, sign up for your email newsletter, and you'll get you know information about registering for next year's race as soon as it's available. Excellent. Yeah, and I get it. You know, when I I, I did a podcast with... Um, Ben Pickle, who does, uh, who runs a sponsorship program at uh, Lifetime Events, yes, and he was saying that although it is the last thing some race directors, and I totally sympathize, would want after the end of a, of of a stressful experience and a, and a very tiring experience, which is putting on an event. Unfortunately, the iron is hot at that time, and you need to strike and you need to do things. It's the peak publicity, peak sponsorship interest. Pick race, basically. You need to set a time. Basically, I think for race directors, the race should end, you know, should start to quieten down a few weeks after the event. There's still so much to do after the event. Totally. And and because of that reason, I recommend that if you can get that press release out that day of race day, once everything is wound down and you have those final numbers to pop in there, if you can share it same day so that somebody can report on it tomorrow that it happened yesterday. Again, the longer you wait, the less newsworthy it's going to be as we get farther and farther away from your race. So it's it's great if you can share it out ASAP. And when I'm assisting races, of course, I carve out time for myself in that day, whether I'm assisting them on site or not, to make sure that I have the ability to turn that re- release around as fast as possible. Now, if you're a busy race director and you don't have a PR assistant who's going to be helping you get that press release out right away, or maybe even if your numbers sometimes don't come in that quickly, you need to go home and gather that data. Um, it's totally okay to wait till the Monday after your race to share that out. Um, as long as you're getting it out within a week of the race happening or you know, on the next weekday post um, you know, event, that is going to be still relevant and helpful for your news. So if that's really something that you can't do, you can't, you know, you're coming home from race day and you're spent and you want to lay down on the couch and have a beer and not have to think about race day anymore for a minute um, and want to wait till Monday to get that press release out. That's not going to shoot you in the foot, but you know, two weeks later, a month later, this is no longer going to be relevant news. And you might as well not send a press release at that point if you've waited that long. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Last area I wanted to touch on, personal PR stuff. And you see this uh, sometimes more with some races than others, the race director putting themselves out there as the star of the show, as the face of the race, as the person who understands the mission, right? So is it okay for myself as the race director to shamelessly promote myself? How do I do that? What do I have to give to the media as the person who puts all this together so I can then maybe get some personal interviews or generate some interest or you know put myself on TV or, or other media? Yes. So if you are willing to step into the spotlight for your race, 
I love it. Do it. I love somebody who is brave enough to, to take up that mantle and, you know, step up onto the stage and be their own spokesperson. I think that if you are somebody that is interested in doing that, if that's something that you would like to do, you are the, the no brainer spokesperson for your event. You know, the most about it. You have the answers to all the questions that a journalist might ask. And um, it makes sense, you know, just the way that we see CEOs giving interviews for big brands that they might oversee, right? The leadership of an event, a brand, an organization is the natural person that people would like to talk to. Now, not everybody loves being in the spotlight, right? If you hate being in front of the camera, if you know that you get really nervous and stumble over your words, or if maybe you've heard some feedback from other people that you're a bit of a loose cannon or have a trouble with staying on topic, it might be okay to either elect to, you know, opt out of being your spokesperson or to take other people's advice and know that it's okay to bring somebody else into that spotlight. But either way, it's great to have a spokesperson, whether it's you or someone else. It could be a volunteer, a participant, it could be, um, you know, the local city council person who runs in your race every year that, you know, is very media trained. I'm even working with a race right now who we actually have an ambassador and kind of spokesperson for the race who's a local reporter. So there's there's lots of opportunities for building relationships. But I'm always extra happy if my race director is interested in stepping into the spotlight. Um, so if you're interested in doing that, you know, as in, as far as including it in your media relations activity, it's as easy as offering yourself up, right? Would you be interested in having me on to talk about the New Year's Day 10K? Um, would you be um, interested in hearing about how I think community events are going to impact um, us in 2022 post-pandemic? You're an expert. You might not think of yourself that way. Maybe you're a race director on the weekend. You know, maybe you have a day job where you're an expert accountant, but you really love running and putting on a 5K for your local nonprofit. And that's just something that you enjoy doing in your spare time. But because you are the one that puts this on and is the leadership of this event, you inherently have some expertise and kind of some star power that goes with that. So trust yourself, trust your ability to share what you know about events. And know that there's nobody better to do it than you. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think, um, you know, the pandemic was uh, definitely not a particularly uh, bullish time for the industry. But it was a great time, I guess, silver lining, to have put yourself out there, hopefully it's behind us, as an expert in the event industry and what that does for the local community and, you know, to have been out there. And I saw that with many race directors and just, yeah, I mean, you are the expert in that, in that setting. You know, you're, you're the person who can speak to what events do and what they offer and how we miss them and all the positive things that they, that they help contribute that uh, unfortunately we lost with the pandemic. Yes. And I know that this episode will live on post pandemic, but I do think it's worth mentioning that if your race is coming back for the first time since COVID, that's a newsworthy element. If you are getting runners together for this marathon, for this 10K, um, for the first time since this horrible thing has been going on, that in itself is newsworthy. Something unique is happening. Something is happening for the first time in a long time. So don't be afraid in after this horrible couple of years to 
use that to your advantage. COVID already took a lot of things away from you. So see if there's a way that you can utilize this uniqueness that it's giving your event in a post-pandemic world, or even showcasing how safe your race is being, uh, how you're taking safety and health as a precaution um, for your participants. Those types of things are things that media are still talking about today with the pandemic, you know, continuing to linger. So um, don't be afraid to play that to your advantage, you know, take advantage of COVID as much as you can. There's, there's no harm in uh, giving it a swift, swift kick in the butt by, you know, being able to earn some media from it after, you know, it paused your event for a couple of years. Yeah. And, and there's tons of stories actually out there I see on local media about this race is back after three years, or as you say, you know, protocols, you know, makes for a good story. You know, we're putting on this race this year. And this is how we're making it kind of safe. And people must be bored, absolutely dead bored, you know, with all the COVID stories. So, you know, it's it's great to have a break and have a ray of sunshine through your local news. Yes. So, Meg, this has been just absolutely packed with great tips. If someone wants to follow up on any of this or wants to reach out to you, uh, maybe, you know, get your help on some of this stuff, how can they reach you? Yeah. So um, folks can follow me super easy on LinkedIn or on Twitter on there. I'm Meg Treat APR. Um, They can also follow Treat Public Relations on Facebook and on Instagram. And they can visit me at treatpublicrelations.com. I've got, uh, you know, information on the races that I represent as well as, you know, how I help races all outlined there. And like I said, I'll make sure that we have some templates and some other resources available for your listeners. And I'll uh, I'll create a special link for that that you can include in the show notes or share out to them after this episode is, is up and going. Super. Well, thank you very, very much for your time, for your uh, insights. Lots of people are going to find this very, very interesting. Thank you so much, Pants. This has been a blast. And I want to thank everyone listening in. And we'll see everyone on the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode on DIY public relations and mastering earned media with my guest, Treat Public Relations Principal, Meg Treat. You can find more resources on anything and everything related to race directing on our website, racedirectorshq.com. You can also share your questions about public relations or anything else in our Facebook group, Race Directors Hub. If you enjoyed this episode, Please don't forget to subscribe or leave a review on your favorite player and also check out the podcast back catalog for more great content like this. Until our next episode, take care and keep putting on amazing races.